I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We're going to conclude our series today on Samuel, the prophet of Israel. Uh, we've been in it now for a number of weeks, and we've learned a lot about the, the prophet Samuel, the leader. Um, we've, one of the things we learned was from his birth. Uh, and remember, his birth was a gift from the Lord to his mom, Hannah, uh, who had not been able to have children. And so uh, uh, Samuel, from, that, from the moment of his birth, was dedicated to God because he was a gift from the Lord. And as a result, when the time came and he was just old enough to do that, Hannah brought him to the temple and gave him uh, to be raised in the temple by Eli the priest. And so it tells us in 1 Samuel 2.21, if you remember from weeks ago, it says the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Uh, then in time passed and Eli and his sons all died and Samuel then became the priest and leader of Israel. Uh, he was recognized and respected by all of Israel as not only a leader but a prophet of God. Uh, and and we know he was also a prophet of God because it told us in 1 Samuel 3.19, it said that the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And here's the thing. He let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. What does that mean? What does that mean? If, if God did not let any of his words fall to the ground. What does that mean? They were true. It meant that everything... Samuel, that because, and they were true and could be counted on because what Samuel spoke, he had heard from the Lord. When we hear from the Lord, we can, we can move with confidence because he didn't let Samuel's words fall to the ground and he will not let ours either when we move into the things he's put in our hearts. Samuel always looked for God's guidance and he always gave God credit for the blessings and direction. Because of Samuel's faithful leadership and his, and his obedience to God, throughout his lifetime, God's hand of blessing was on his life. And because of his godly leadership, his hand of blessing was on Israel during that time as well. And it told us that during his time of leadership, there was uh, the Philistines didn't attack them. You know, there was, there was time of peace. And he also caused the Amorites to be at peace with them as well. However, we know from also studying that a time did come eventually where the Israelites decided that they didn't want to be led directly by God through his appointed leader, Samuel. They wanted a king because they decided they wanted to be like all their neighbors. Samuel was displeased by that because he knew it wasn't God's plan for them. But we also recall from our previous studies that, uh, and, and you know, he did try to convince them. He, he did his best to explain to them why that this was not God's plan. But eventually, uh, uh, God told Samuel to give them what they wanted. And so he also then uh, identified for Samuel Saul to be the one that they would uh, anoint as king. Saul looked the part. Remember, he was tall and he was good looking and he looked like he would be uh, the, the, the part, and God gave him some military successes, but Saul did not have a heart that was obedient to God. Saul even began to make decisions along the way that were contrary to God's direction. And then when he was confronted with his sinful decisions, 
Saul defended his decisions, and he even tried to blame other people for, for making those bad choices. The result of all that was that eventually God rejected Saul as king. And, and through Samuel, uh, told Saul that he was stripping the kingdom away from Saul, and he was going to give it to someone else, someone better than him. So then in last week's message, uh, we learned that that person that God had chosen to be uh, Israel's next leader was David. And he sent Samuel to anoint him as king. Now, all of this took place while Saul was still alive and he was still king. So then, so David is secretly anointed by Samuel to become king. But obviously he doesn't become king immediately because Saul is still king. So David supported the effort. We, we know that in scripture, uh, David volunteered to fight Goliath after he had been anointed to be Israel's king, but he was not king yet. And he defeated him with this act of courage. And David's reputation began to grow among the soldiers and among the, the, the population. And uh, David support, actually supported Saul uh, because, remember, it talks about that he would play the liar for him to, to comfort Saul. Uh, he, he served him in, in the palace. But because of David's growing popularity uh, with the people, Saul, uh, a time came where Saul began to distrust him uh, because, and, and because actually what he understood was the people liked David more than they liked him, right? And so now with that background of kind of what we've covered over the last weeks and right up through last Sunday, let's read today's scripture. Uh, it's in 1 Samuel 19 and it's going to be verses 8 through 24. And Bibles are in the chairs and it'll be on the screen. Okay, 1 Samuel 19 starting in verse 8. It says, once more war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines and he struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow, you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair on the head. When Saul sent the men to capture David, Michael said, he's ill. I guess he looked ill. <laughs> Probably. But so Saul sent the men back. They went and said, well, he's ill. So Saul sent them back and, and they said, bring, and he said, bring him up to me in his bed. Just bring him bed and all. Okay, so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed, and at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michael, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Michael told him, He said to me, Let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done. Then he and Samuel went to Nioth, 
and stayed there. Word came to Saul. David is in Nioth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when those men, when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they also prophesied. So then Saul sent men a third time, but they also prophesied. Finally, Saul decided he needed to take care of it himself. So Saul himself left for Ramah, and he went to the great cistern at Sekhu, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Nioth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Nioth at Ramah. But the Spirit of God came on even him, and he walked along prophesying as he came to Nioth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence, and he lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? Okay, so in this scripture that we just read, we've seen that war, you know, broke out with the Philistines, you know, after this time of peace. David goes out and fights them, and with such power that it says these guys ran away from him. This victory for David then reopened the spiritual attack on Saul, and it reignited his jealousy towards David. But fortunately, God's hand of protection was on David. He was God's anointed. So David gets out of the palace. He goes to his home. And his wife, Michael, who, by the way, if you recall, is Saul's daughter. Remember, Michael was Saul's daughter, okay? So she tells David that you need to run for your life tonight. And so she helped him by lowering him down out of a window. Out of the house, because there were men waiting, I guess, out in the front yard, it says, because Saul had sent men. Okay, and then Michael created the plan to put the, you know, the idol in the bed and put some goat's hair on it and make it look like David was asleep so that when these soldiers came in to take him, she could go, well, he's sick. And they would look over there and go, well, yeah, that looks sick. And so hopefully they would leave, but they didn't. They go tell Saul, and Saul says, just bring him bed and all. I mean... Saul wanted to kill the guy, okay? But, but David wasn't there because with the help of his wife, he, he had escaped. Now, it's interesting, you know, a lot of psalms are, were written by David, many of them, okay? And that, this event that we've just talked about is what inspired David at some point to compose Psalm 59, just read you the first five verses and think about what we just read in the scripture. Okay, Psalm 50, uh, 59, verses 1 through 5. David wrote, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie and wait for me? Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, and yet they are ready to attack me. Arise and help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations and show no mercy to wicked traitors. David, even David knew that when you have a need, the place to go is to God. Right? 
Okay, so let's go back to 1 Samuel 19. And, you know, it says that once he made his escape, uh, he, it says he ran, he fled to Ramah. He wanted to, he, he wanted to find Samuel. Okay, if we recall, Ramah is Samuel's home. It's where he was born. It's where he grew up. Okay, and then, and then at, at, at Nioth, which was really nearby. So, so David finds Samuel. Samuel takes him to Nioth which is some maps and places show it as two separate places. I, I think the way it looks and, and when you read about it and says it was in Ramah a lot of places, I think it was kind of like a section of town. It would be like a, be like a, a neighborhood in the, in the village, okay? So Samuel took David to Nioth and they stayed there. And that was where it was in Nioth was where Samuel had his school of the prophets that he oversaw. Okay, so now David is is with the prophets. He's at the school of the prophets. And and I guess the way I kind of think of that is what David did is he kind of he ran to the house of the Lord. He he ran to the place where he knew, okay? But eventually as it seemed to happen all the time, somehow word got to Saul that David's now in Nioth. Okay, so Saul still wants to get David, so he sends men to Nioth to capture David. But when these first group of men, they see these prophets prophesying and, and, and Samuel overseeing this, God overwhelms them with his power. He, they're overcome by the power of God, and these men begin to prophesy as well. So, of course, when Saul hears that that's what's happened, he sends more men. He thinks, you know, more is better. But when they get there, they're overcome by the power of God. They prophesy. So Saul, not to be deterred, sends a third group. Okay? And, and these guys, and, and can you imagine Saul is probably saying, and don't you come back, you know, I mean, imagine the, the warnings and the direction get, you know, more fierce with each one. And so now this third group goes. But even they then were overcome by the power of God, and they prophesied as well. Just think about this for a second. Saul sent three groups of soldiers to capture David. And three times, God did not, God did not allow them to carry out their mission by bringing David back to Saul. What does that tell you? What, what should you learn from that if you're Saul? You've got to do it God's way. Should, it, should Saul have gotten the message that apparently God does not want David to be captured and harmed? Because they sent three guys. They did it three times. It was clearly God's way of disarming those who came to capture David. I mean, these, these, I mean think about this. It's three groups of people who were not seeking to be filled and overcome by the power of God. They were on a military mission. And, and so these guys who are not seeking God, they're not seeing these prophets prophesying and going, wow, that would be really cool if we could do that too. They're on their way to capture David. But God says, no, my plans are bigger than your plans. And so they prophesy, and they're disarmed. This should have been a clear sign to Saul to stop, to stop trying to harm David, because 
Well, he was God's anointed. Saul didn't know that yet. Okay. But as we know, that's not what happened. All three groups get sent by Saul. They all three get stopped. So now when you know it, Saul decides to go. He's going to go take care of it himself. He'll get it done. Verse 23 tells us that Saul went to Nioth at Ramah, but the Spirit of the Lord came even on him as he walked along. He was prophesying. And then it says he stripped off his garments, and, and it says in the version, say he lay naked. What, what normally that actually means in that time and culture is he, he took off his royal robes and was left wearing his linen undergarments. Okay? And he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. Um, I mean, really, I, I don't know any other way to put it. I think God is doing his best to communicate to Saul, hands off. Hands off, but he just won't listen, and he just won't get it. And he's really telling Saul by, his, by showing him what the power of God could do to those soldiers three times, and now to Saul, Saul, you're not in charge. I am. And, you know, there's times in our life, isn't that kind of what we, God's had to do with some of us? Is kind of say, you're not in charge. I am. And some of those times, I'm, sometimes we don't like that, but aren't you? I'm, there's times in my life when God has done that to me that I'm thankful because he kept me from doing something really foolish. Okay? God loves us enough that if he can't get our attention through any other way, he'll, he'll do what it takes. And with these guys, he stopped three sets of soldiers and Saul himself from, from being able to capture David because what their plans were were not in alignment with God's plans. So it told us that, that Saul was compelled by the Holy Spirit to remove his royal robes, right? So what, what can we also know? What, what did that demonstrate? What did him removing his royal robes demonstrate? Yeah, the end of his kingdom. I mean, it's, this is like God, by, by him feeling compelled to remove his, his royal robes, this is like kind of putting like, Saul, you're no longer God's anointed king. And as a result, you will not be permitted to be prophesying in the presence of the Lord wearing royal robes that don't belong on you. Okay. But now, let's still think about Saul here for a second. And even you see this, how it can apply to us. There's no doubt that Saul was certainly affected by the power of God. Will we all agree with that? Saul was affected by the power of God. But Saul was never surrendered to the power of God. Saul didn't choose this. This wasn't something Saul pursued. It was just the power of God. Because if, it had be, if, if Saul had been surrendered to the power of God, he would have had a changed heart. And his path would have changed, but it didn't. So all this took place. And, and one of the things that I think I'm really impressed with is, because we're talking about godly leadership here today, is think about this. Samuel, we just talked about all these times, right, where three groups of soldiers come and the king comes, all intending to capture David. And all three times, as Samuel is supervising and is watching over the prophet, his 
school of the prophets, and they're prophesying. These other guys start to prophesy, but it doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us that like God said to Samuel, you know, like say something and they'll all prophesy. It just says Samuel was overseeing the school of the prophets who were prophesying, and God did what He did with those soldiers who came. Think Samuel? I mean, might those soldiers have killed Samuel too? You know? I mean, just do you see what I'm saying? I mean, but Samuel never wavered in fear through this whole process of of, of three groups of soldiers coming. Samuel, it said it doesn't say that when Saul showed up, Samuel got worried and said, Oh, I need to go hide David in a better place. From everything Scripture tells us, they continued doing what they were doing because they were busy serving and ministering before the Lord. And so God just took care of it. Okay? And that's a good lesson for us as well, is to not fear when we're, when we're trusting and worshiping and serving God to know that God will protect us. So... The other thing that really struck me about David and all this was that David alone couldn't protect himself from Saul. David by himself, right? He had, to, he had to escape the palace. Saul tried to pin him to the wall, it said, with his spear. Okay? He ran home to his wife, and his wife helped him Okay, she helped him. She did what she could, but she couldn't stop Saul's pursuit. She just helped David escape. Okay, friends can help you sometimes, but they can't stop. What the the thing that that the only thing that could stop Saul's pursuit was when David went to Ramah. He sought the help of Samuel, a godly leader, and, and he was in the house of God, if you will, by being at the school of the prophets. How would, how would any of you, just uh, how would you describe a godly leader? What does that mean? You say someone is a godly leader. What, would, what are some words that come to mind? What's that? Love, someone who loves. Someone who follows God. Okay? What else? Any other thought? Yeah, selfless to a certain extent. Some, someone who is there to serve the people that God has put in their, in their care. Yeah, there's, there are a lot of things. If you think about uh, the, the, the blessings of godly leadership... Proverbs 11.11 says that it's through the blessing of the upright, through the blessing of godly leaders, that a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is destroyed. Who you vote for matters. No, think about what this verse says. It says, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. If you want to live in a good city, you want godly leaders. Because that city will be blessed through godly leadership but by the mouth of the wicked it will be destroyed that's not political that's scriptural okay 
It's not a red or blue thing. It's a God thing. Proverbs 11.14 says that for lack of guidance, a nation falls. But victory is won through many advisors. That's godly advisors. That's godly leadership. Look, there's no doubt, I think, we'd all agree, David benefited from Samuel's godly leadership. Okay? And, and I hope that all of us here and any watching on the, on the, uh, the, the cast there would say that there have been times in your life that you've benefited from the blessing or following of godly leaders. Okay? But so now, though, as we look back on what we've learned, not only from our own experiences with maybe godly leadership that we've had exposure to, but from the life of Samuel and the example that he gave us throughout this entire study, I think the, the question becomes, uh, what, what can we learn about godly leadership and the example of Samuel, okay? And then how do we apply it to our own lives? So I think the question, as we kind of wrap up our study on Samuel then, is Samuel was a godly leader who, who his, his following and faithfulness to God not only brought blessing on his country, on Israel, during his time of leadership, but then today even we see that it's even right down to the individual, it brought specific cause specific blessing and protection for David. Okay? So then all of us have people in our lives that for whom we have care and responsibility and who our, our behavior has an effect on. And so I think what we want to take away from this is an understanding of how can we be godly leaders. Because all of us, you know, what you can say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not the CEO of this, or I'm not the pastor of this, or I'm, yeah, but you know what? Every person here, there are people in your lives who look to you. There are people in your lives who listen to you. There are people in your lives who the words you say, the life you lead, and the actions you take will affect their lives. So how can we be godly leaders? Well, the first thing is, and this came up earlier, is to be humble. Godly leaders are humble. Okay, here's a word check. What is humility? What does that mean? What is humility? It's someone who puts others first. What else? Someone who is not proud. Someone who has a correct, a right opinion of themselves. Yeah, those are, it's, you know, humility is, is uh, sometimes it's hard to do, but it's easy to see. You sure recognize it in others. Okay, and, and we all appreciate that, right? It is, it, certainly humility is, is not arrogance. Right? It's not arrogance. It's, it's, not, it's also it's not let it, being a doormat. Humility is not being a doormat. Okay? That's not just letting people walk over you. Humble people can be very strong people. They're just people who understand that there is value in those around them as well. And it's not all about them. Godly leaders like Samuel. Think about Samuel. 
he he lived you know i i did the best word i could he lived authentically he he didn't put on a a, a show he he actually lived like a just a you know a real guy in front of the people of israel okay and so when they not only live authentically but they you don't it's people who do not live kind of behind a hedge of privilege you know if they're in a leadership role it's it, you know they don't sort of live at a distance from everyone because they're they're a leader they they live kind of with arms linked with those for whom they serve and those for whom they lead uh, because when you're close, when you sort of link arms with those that you're, you're with, uh, it, it tends to make you way more co cooperative, okay? Because you're, what you're looking to do is you're looking to bring out the best in the people you lead. And if you're, if you're working closely linked with them, you hear a lot of good ideas. You find out that other people have godly, can have godly wisdom and have experience that can, they can contribute to the discussion. And it starts to have you begin to bring value uh, to what they can what they can contribute. Humility also means you really do reject any foolish sense of arrogance or pride. The worst the worst thing that leaders can do is think that they have all the answers and they don't need any help from anyone. That's a good step to a downfall. James four six. God opposes the proud, but He shows favor. To the humble. Samuel knew his strength and his wisdom came from God, and as a result, he waited patiently on leading from the Lord. When Saul pursued David at Nioth, which was in opposition to God's plan, was arrogance on Saul's part. What Saul was actually doing was fighting against the will of God. Right? Okay? And 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 so God intervened. Because, and the takeaway for us is anytime we think that our plans are superior to God's, that's the opposite of humility, and it's destined to failure. Think about all the great leaders in Scripture that had to practice humility either throughout the time that we know about them from Scripture, or at least during parts of it. Abraham did. Moses did. Joseph. Joseph, talk about humility. Put in prison. Right? I mean, and Samuel. Th these are people that all demonstrated humility as they waited on God and exhibited godly leadership before others. So the first thing is to, you, you, you be humble. You stay humble. Second thing is they stay consistently faithful to God. Samuel prayerfully sought the will of God in every matter. Godly leaders are obedient to God's direction, and they encourage the people that they lead to do the same, to be obedient to God's directions. The other thing about godly leaders in their consistency is they have no goal to enrich themselves or make themselves famous based on their spiritual calling. Those things might happen somehow, I guess. I don't know. But that's not their goal. Their, their reason to be is to be obedient and faithful to God. A godly leader's real desire is simple. It's at the end of their life to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Third thing godly leaders do is protect those that they lead. Godly leaders seek to protect those entrusted to them. Samuel anointed David in secret because he knew it would be dangerous for David to do it in public. He was protecting him. When Saul tried to kill David, David fled to Samuel at Ramah, and then Samuel took him to Nioth. Ramah wasn't good enough. He knew he needed to get him to Nioth to protect him, which, like we said earlier, was basically he kind of brought him to the house of the God, the house of God, and because the school of the prophets was there under Samuel's leadership, and he wanted to get David to a place of both physical and spiritual safety. Friends and family can do their best to look out for you and to protect you in a time of need. And I hope they will. I hope friends and family will. But no source of help, no matter how willing or able they are, can match the power of God to confront and deliver you from every attack. Samuel was a godly leader who recognized that David needed God's protection and he provided it. Time moves on forward. In 1 Samuel 25.1, it told us, now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Throughout his lifetime, Samuel was a godly leader for the people of Israel. He remained humble before the Lord he consistently sought to do the will of God, and he always stood in the gap and protected those for whom God had entrusted to him. People like Samuel are rare today, aren't they? They're rare today. But you and I can desire to be like him and to have a relationship with God and people that isn't prideful and that is consistent in our faith. Today, more than ever, today more than ever, we should be in prayer for those in our family, for those in our circle of friends, even people that we work with, that God would draw them close and protect them from all the attacks of Satan. Leaders model what God wants for us all. Leaders model what God wants for us all. Samuel was an example of that. And we should all pray that we would be as well. Would you guys stand with me as we close? Just everybody, this will be brief. Just bow your head, close your eyes. Just it's a moment with you and, and the Lord. God is still working through humble, faithful, protective leaders that he's placed in our lives. Today, as we complete the series on Samuel, prophet of Israel, if, if you've recognized that you need God's help in your life, whether it's to walk each day in humility, to become consistently faithful, or maybe it's to be better at standing in the gap of protection, for those around you. If any of those apply and you will, you want to commit that to God for help, just raise your hand. Say, Lord, that's me. You can put them down. Lord, today, 
Lord, we, we come before you, Father. You've seen our hands raised because, Father, what we want to do is we want to learn from this. And, Lord, we want to provide that godly leadership to those around us. Lord, we want to be examples that they can follow. Lord, we want to, we want to demonstrate in our own lives things that you want for everyone, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, give us a heart for you. A heart that's strong, Lord, but humble. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remain consistently faithful each day. God, I pray that as we read your word daily, Lord, David also wrote, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, help us to hide your word in our heart. And Lord, I pray that any time that Satan tries to tempt us or attack us or move us off, your course, your plans, Lord. I pray that your word would come to mind that would encourage us and strengthen us and draw us back close to you. And Lord, I pray that we would stand in the gap for those that you've entrusted to us. Lord, help us to pray for our kids and our grandkids and our friends, our family, Lord, our, our, our neighbors. God, life is tough. And Father, I pray that we would understand that while we can try to help in so many ways, and we should. Lord, there is nothing more powerful that we can do than to pray for those that you've entrusted and those around us. So, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in, in growing in that direction. In Jesus' name. And now, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Confront one, comfort one another and agree with one another, and live in peace. And the love of God and peace be with you all. Amen.